This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 3, if you would, please. I'm going to slide this back just a tad so I can get my Bible open here, and I'll try not to uh, knock that off. Even though it is a Surface Pro, we don't want it on the surface of the ground. Proverbs chapter 3, if you would, please. Now, let me tell you a little backstory about this presentation this morning. I was a youth pastor at Central Baptist Church in Greenville, Tennessee. And we had an evangelist in named Hal Webb, who is now with the Lord. And Dr. Webb had produced a little booklet called Charting the Course. And it was basically, he was somewhat of an artist, he drew some drawings about the Christian life. And it was very, very helpful. And one of those was on this matter of what we're talking about, though we called it something slightly different, but I adapted it. And so I do want to give credit to Dr. Webb. He was a wonderful servant of the Lord. And this has really helped me through my own Christian experience. I can say that every major decision that I have made in my Christian life since I came across this chart has been based on the principles that we're going to be talking about biblically. Not because of the chart, but because of the biblical truth involved. And so I hope this will help you today as we talk about it. So Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. If you would notice this passage, you know it well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. So the writer of Proverbs Solomon is saying here that there are certain things that you and I need in our life if we're going to have a sense of God directing our path. And there are three verbs that I want to talk about. Number one is trust. Notice what it says in the verse, trust in the Lord. Trust is a faith dependence. We understand that. I think most of you understand what the word trust means. But then he says, don't lean or lean not to your own understanding. And that is the idea of putting your dependence, your carnal confidence in something else. It is so easy for us to trust what our friend says, to trust what the world thinks, to trust maybe what we read in a book somewhere. But Solomon is saying, don't put your confidence in things other than the word of God. Don't lean to your own understanding. But then he said, in all your ways acknowledge him. The word acknowledge in the Hebrew that the Old Testament was originally written in is the, the word to know. In all your ways know God. Now let me illustrate it this way. How do I know the will of my wife? How do I know what my wife wants to do? What's the key? What is it? She verbalizes it. Well, she verbalizes it. That's, that's true. But uh, sometimes she doesn't verbalize it. So what's the key? In all thy ways, what? Know the Lord. So in the same way, if I want to know the will of my wife, I need to know what my wife likes and doesn't like, even if she doesn't verbalize it. For example, I know that my wife does not like McDonald's. As a matter of fact, she hates McDonald's. Now, she is not trying to burn Ronald down or anything, not, not that, but she does not like McDonald's. She likes Panera. And, you know, you go to Panera and you get those little chick sandwiches, you know, they're really cool. And, and so anyway, if I want to please my wife, I need to know my wife. And if I know my wife likes Panera, where am I going to take her? Panera. 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 Okay, not to McDonald's. So 
this is saying that if you want to know God, if you want to know his will for you, you need to know God. Hudson Taylor, you've heard that name before, was a great missionary. Hudson Taylor said this, and I want you to think about it. He said, the older I get, the harder it is to discern the will of God. Now that doesn't seem to make sense, does it? You would think that the older a godly person got, the easier it would be for them to discern the will of God. So why did Hudson Taylor say, the older I get, the harder it is for me to discern the will of God? He went on to say in his biography, the older I get, the more I tend to trust my own life experiences rather than simply believing the Bible. And you know, that is a tendency that we all have. We tend to think, well, I, you know, I've experienced this. I know this. I mean, I've got this part figured out. Solomon says, no, no, no. Don't lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, know God. And if you know God, you'll know what God wants you to do with your life. So that is his principle. So we're talking about discerning the will of God. Now the illustration that we're using is a telescope. A telescope here is uh, uh, something that is made up of lenses. Now years ago I brought this in a church and a guy came up to me and said, Dr. Stedman, I am a scientist and you are not anatomically correct in the design of your telescope. I said, I said, you missed the point. I'm not trying to be anatomically correct in the design of the telescope. I don't know if any telescope in the world looks exactly like this, but the principle is there. Okay, he was kind of a nerd. And so, you know, so, so a telescope is made up of lenses. And the idea of a telescope is that if you have all of these lenses that work together in in a synchronized way, they're going to bring something that is really distant up close, right? That's a telescope. You can get, we, we bought a telescope for my son and my grandson who is, who is a real little engineer and uh, for Christmas, they're going to get it this Christmas and he's going to be looking at the moon and he's going to be looking. So it's something with lenses that brings clarity of something that's distant and brings it close. Now we understand that because most of us, all of us really work with lenses every day. Now. I happen to have four lenses. I've got two here and two here. Now, I didn't used to need these lenses because I had perfect vision growing up. But one day I was 42 years of age. I was lost in Chinatown in Chicago. I'd gotten off the interstate at the wrong place. And if you've ever been to Chinatown in Chicago, you can't find your way out of there without a map. So I got out my map. And I looked at it, and I couldn't read it. The words were so tiny, I couldn't read my map. And I thought, oh, no, I've got a brain tumor. I'm dying, you know, all of these things you think when your eyesight starts going. And so I went to a man in our church who was an optometrist, and he said, no, you have presbyopianism. I said, what is that? He said, you have old eyes. So at 42, I had to get two more lenses, and voila, I can put those lenses with these lenses, and I can read perfectly. But without these, I can't read what's on that page. So the lenses, to have clarity, have to work together. Okay, That's what a telescope does. To see what God wants us to do, to discern what God is doing in our life, to have clarity. Okay, so, But we're talking, first of all here, about the steps to guidance. Because before you ever get into the place where you can look through the lenses, there are certain steps you need to take to get up to the telescope. If you don't take these steps, you won't be able to discern the will of God. Now, let me ask you a question. Who is better able to discern the will of God based on biblical principles, Brother Taylor or a drunken man who is unsaved? Brother Taylor. Okay, why? 
okay, yeah, he's, he's had experience in the Word of God. He has taken these steps. And therefore, he is able to look through the lenses and to see what God is doing with their life. Young people, if you don't take the spiritual steps necessary in your life to discern what God is doing, you're never going to find the will of God. It begins foundationally with certain steps. Now, what are those? Number one, if you can see down here, and that is you yield. We're talking about a believer, someone who is saved. Now, we're talking now about someone who knows the Lord as their Savior. And I'm assuming that you do. So we'll assume that you know the Lord. If you know the Lord as your Savior, the first thing is for you to yield your life. You surrender unconditionally as a living sacrifice. Now, what is the basis of that? It is Romans 12, 1 and 2. I won't, I won't take the time, but Romans is a book on theology. Chapters 1 through 3 talks about sin. Chapters 4 and 5 talk about salvation. Chapters 6 through 8 talk about sanctification. Chapters 9 through 11 is answering the question, what about the Jew and the gospel? And then chapters 12 through 16 talk about service. So when Paul is writing to the Romans, the first thing he says to them, foundationally about serving God, is this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul is saying that you'll never see what God is doing in your life until you really yield your life to the Lord. Now practically what that means is, if I come to God and I say, God, I really want you to show me what your will is, and then I'll decide if I do it or not, you'll never find God's will. No, you come with a yielded heart to do the will of God. Then number two, you confess, that is, you admit and forsake known sin. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But let me read another verse here, 2 Timothy 2, 21. And if you want to get the recording, it is working. So you can go back and you can draw your own little chart and, and listen to this. But Paul said to Timothy, let me read it very carefully. If a man therefore purge himself from these sins of the flesh he's talking about, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. What was he saying? Timothy, if you're going to discern what God is doing with your life, you need to deal with sin in your life so you can be a clean vessel. Now, we have this really cool device at our house. It's called a dishwasher. Any of you have a dishwasher at your house? Now, I'm not talking about one of you doing the dishes. I'm, I'm talking about the mechanical dishwasher. I mean, my wife takes a dirty glass and puts it in the dishwasher, closes the door with some soap and pushes a button, and miraculously, when she opens it up, the glass is clean. Now, before she puts the dishwashing soap in and closes the door, sometimes, you know, because there are only two of us, we let things collect in the dishwasher. You know, I, I drink a glass of milk for breakfast, and uh, she says, now put it in the dishwasher. I'm supposed to rinse it. But if I forget to do that, I put it in there, you know, the milk's kind of hardened and crusted on it, and, you know, my, my back washes on it. It's, it's really dirty, and it's sitting in the dishwasher with the door closed. It's not clean yet. Now, if I go back into the kitchen and I want to get another drink, am I going to go into the dishwasher and get that dirty, milk-encrusted, slobber-encrusted glass, or am I going to get a clean one out of the pantry? Clean one out of the pantry. Why? 
It's sanitary. It's clean. Let me ask you a question. Is God less wise than we are? God wants to use clean vessels. Now, God will do what God is pleased to do because he's God. But Paul is saying, Timothy, if you want to be used by God, you need to be a clean vessel. And that means confessing and forsaking sin so that God can use you. And then number three is pray. Spend time speaking to God. Uh, James says this, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, James 1. The Greek word, let him ask, is the Greek word iteo. And it literally is a present active participle, means let him keep on asking. Finding the will of God is not one time pray, God, I want, you to, I want to know your will. No. Finding the will of God involves spending time with God in the word and in prayer on an ongoing basis. I tell, oh, let him keep on asking. You know, sometimes uh, with Baptist World, I have to deal with problems. we got one right now I'm dealing with a, a problem related to a missionary. And I have gone to the Lord two days ago, and I went to the Lord yesterday, and I went to the Lord today, and I keep on asking for wisdom. Because God has commanded us to do so. We do not have wisdom in ourselves. So we pray. And then number four, you study. And that means you spend time letting God speak to you. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So we get in the word of God. So my point is you will never be able to discern God's will for your life until you spend time with the Lord. So you come to the Lord with a yielded heart. You confess and forsake known sin. You spend time in prayer. You spend time in the Word. Those are the ongoing patterns of your life if you're going to find the will of God because that is the person who doesn't lean to their own understanding. But in all thy ways, acknowledge or know him, and he shall direct your path. And then number four, the issue of waiting. And here it says, you stay put until you're sure of God's guidance. Now, there are a couple of passages that we could reference, but I want to talk about one, Isaiah 28, 16. You don't need to turn there. Let me, let me read it to you. Isaiah says to Israel, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone. Who's he talking about? Jesus. Jesus. He's going to send Christ. And then he says, a sure foundation, he that believeth shall not make haste. Okay, what does that mean? Well, we really don't know what that means exactly because it's nestled in Isaiah 28 in the midst of a, a message of Isaiah about judgment. And then God gives this great promise of Christ coming and he says, he that believeth shall not make haste. But then Paul picks up that verse and he quotes it in the book of Romans in the section in chapter 11 that talks about salvation. And let me read what he says there, Romans 10, 11. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now Isaiah said, whoever believes will not make haste. Paul said, whoever believes will not be ashamed. Those don't seem to be the same thing, do they? But they are. Because Isaiah was warning against following a false Messiah. And if you run ahead of God, and you have a Messiah other than Jesus, you're going to end up being ashamed, right? So, let's say I, let's say I don't yield my life to the Lord, and I don't confess and pray and study and wait, and I'm not walking with the Lord, but I have this emotional experience and I stand up and say, God's called me to be a colonel in the Marine Corps. 
And that wasn't the will of God for you. And you don't end up becoming a colonel. You end up becoming a ditch digger. <laughs> he that believeth shall not make haste. And Paul says, he that believeth will not be ashamed. If you get ahead of God and start talking about his will and you're not really following him, you're going to be ashamed. You're going to be embarrassed because you really haven't followed the Lord when you claim to do that. You know, a lot of people today have, have emotional experiences and they claim that God told them to do this and God told them to do that and God had nothing to do with it. So we need to make sure that we're following the steps foundationally so we can discern what the will of God is. So the real emphasis I want to give you this morning is that you need to deal with these four things. Now, if you are dealing with those, those five things, then we move to our next step. You see up here it says steps to guidance. It's going to change now. We're talking about spotting guidance. So now we're in a place where we have arrived up to the top and we see the first of the lenses. We've looked through now and we see the first one. But there are four of them. So we're looking to see what God is going to do in our lives. What God's will is. Where do we foundationally discern what God's will is? God's word. The entrance of God's word giveth light. So the word of God is foundational. You know, if you come to me and say, you know, uh, Brother Stedman, God has called me to do this, I'll say to you, where does the Bible teach that? You know, where, what scripture did God use in your heart to bring you to that decision? Because it is God's word, the entrance of God's word giveth light. In all your ways know him. How do we know him? Through his word. He has revealed himself in his word. So foundationally. Now, in the word of God, there are both positive commands and there are negative prohibitions. And we need to do both of those. So what are the positive commands? Uh, Psalm 119, 168, I have kept thy precepts and thy testimonies. In other words, God has commanded us to do certain things. We know that that is his will. Okay, let's start. What are some of the things that we know are God's will for us from the Bible? We already know them. What are some of those things? To be thankful. To obey him, to abstain from fornication, uh, to share the gospel with others. There are many, many positive commands given to us in the Bible that we know are God's will for us and we need to do them. It's not like I say, oh, I just wish I could figure out what I'm supposed to do in 20 years. No, you discern from the Bible what God wants you to do today, and you do it today. Amen. Now, when God wants to show you what's way out there, he'll reveal that to you, but you've got to start doing what you know is right today. So number one is the Bible. But also there are negative prohibitions. Let me give you one of those. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, you know, some of you guys maybe someday will get married. I mean... You know, quite frankly, some of you are so homely, I don't know if it'll ever happen. Uh, but, uh, you know, maybe someday, maybe sometime, someday you'll get married, okay? And girls, all of you girls are lovely, but, you know, maybe someday you'll get married. You know what's really scary? Is maybe your future husband's sitting over here. Or guys, maybe she's over here. Okay, you know, this, this could, but one thing we know, one thing we know, if, if you're, if you're, let's say you're working at McDonald's and there is this other person there, guys, this young lady, and she's beautiful and lovely, but she's unsaved, you can be sure that she is not the one that God has for you. 
Now, if someday she gets saved and her life has changed, maybe she would be. But you don't start dating her. We are not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And young ladies, you are not to set your affections on some guy that is lost and is not following God. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't even set your affections toward a guy who is saved if he's not serious about following God. Amen. So there are positive commands and negative prohibitions, and all of those things come together to help us to discern the will of God. So that is lens number one. Now remember, we have four lenses up here, and I think this is, yeah, this is, no, it doesn't. So we have, we have a lens here, a lens here, and a lens here, and a lens here. All of the lenses have to work together <clears throat> for there to be clarity. Now, I hope you'll understand what I'm saying and not misunderstand. God's word is absolutely sufficient for everything that pertains to life and godliness. Okay? God's word is sufficient. But it, when it comes to discerning his will, God's word teaches us that there are some other things we need, other lenses we need, other than just our own Bible reading. So what are those? Well, the next one is godly counsel. In the multitude of counselors, there is what? Safety. There is safety. Now, I went to uh, Bible college, and there was a young man on our hall that wanted to drop out of school. He was a freshman and get married. He had met the girl of his dreams, and he wanted to drop out of school and get married. So he was told, you need to get counsel about dropping out of school and getting married. So guess where he went? He went down the hall to another freshman who wanted to drop out of school and go home, and he sought counsel from him. Was that a good idea or a bad idea? That's a bad idea. Because you don't go to someone who's going to tell you what you want to hear. You go to godly influences in your life that are over you, authorities in your life that are spiritually minded. Now, who are some of those people from which that young man should have gotten godly counsel? His pastor. Parents. Sunday school teacher, youth leader. Other people that are godly, in the multitude of godly counselors, there is safety. So, you know, two young ladies get together, and uh, they start counseling each other. Well, you know, that may not be the best idea. You may end up leaning to your own understanding and not finding the will of God. So, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Yesterday was a great day. Now, I, I will confess, yesterday morning, I didn't feel very good. I, I was very tired from the week. My wife can give a testimony of this, which I'll ask her not to do. But I was kind of grumpy yesterday morning and didn't feel good. I was tired. But we went out and went over to Smithfield, and we walked a while, and we had some fish, and I felt much better. So, where was that illustration going? Okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, counsel. That's right. Mature beliefs. Oh, yes. The reason it was, a good, it was a good day yesterday. So we came back home after having a wonderful fish lunch, and I felt much better. I was refreshed from the walk. We walked several miles. Uh, in a place over there called Windsor Castle Park, and it was great. We had a wonderful time, and we came back, and Tennessee was playing. Now, I, I, I don't want to offend anyone, but in Alabama, when you move to Alabama where we live, you have to declare if you're either Alabama or Auburn. It's a really big rivalry. But I have kept my Tennessee loyalties growing up. My family settled in Tennessee in the 1700s, so we've been Tennessee fans since George Washington, okay? Uh, and so that, that's a joke, okay? Uh, but anyway... We have been Tennessee fans for a long time. Tennessee destroyed LSU yesterday. And uh, LSU twice tried to go for it on fourth down. So let me illustrate this. Let me ask you a question. LSU has a quarterback, you know, 
and he's out there, and it's fourth and 31 to go. Okay, And the LSU quarterback says to himself, I don't need the coach over there. I'm going to go for it on fourth and 31. Is he a smart quarterback or a dumb quarterback? He's a dumb quarterback, and he won't be quarterback long. Okay, Because the coach has objectivity. The coach has wisdom. The coach has the ability to see the entire field. And that is what the Bible teaches in getting counsel. You know, sometimes when you and I read the Bible, we read a passage and we think we know what it means, and then we hear the pastor preach on it, we think, oh boy, I really, I misunderstood that passage. So we go to people, and we don't just, just you know, I read this in the Bible. You know, uh, the Bible says, smite them hip and thigh. So I'm going to go up and smack my friend. No, uh, you misapplied the passage, okay? So we need the Word of God, but we also need godly counsel when it's fourth and one. But then there is a third point or a third lens. And remember, all of these lenses are working together. That is providential circumstances. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 16, where this is really clearly illustrated. Acts chapter 16. And we're going to read a few verses here, and I want you to see what's happening here. It says, verse six, chapter 16, verse 1, Then came he to Durban Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple is there named Timotheus, etc., etc. And uh, Timothy goes with Paul on the missionary journey. And verse 5, And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. So Paul is a missionary. Paul is doing what God's Word says for him to do. He is evangelizing, planting churches, making disciples, okay? He comes to a place where they're launching out into a new area, and notice what happens. Now when they had gone, verse 6, through Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed, or they endeavored, to go into Bithynia. And the Spirit suffered them not. Now that's an old English way of saying that God closed the door. Now we don't know how God closed the door, but he closed the door. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. So here is Paul. Paul is doing what the Word of God has to say. Paul and his team take counsel together. We can read that in chapters 14 and 13, 13, 14 and 15 in, in Acts. They, they've taken counsel together. They're launching on this missionary endeavor. But suddenly, the Holy Spirit brings roadblocks. And they sit back at Troas and scratch their head and say, What is God doing? It's called providential circumstances. Now, we don't use the word providential very much anymore, but it's a really good word, and it has a root and a prefix that I want to give you a little question about. So, uh, some of you may never have heard of this word before, but the root of providence is video. Does anybody know what a video is? Have you ever seen a video? What's a video? Basically, instead of a picture, it's like something live and like you can record yourself. Okay. Do you, do you taste a video? No. Do you hear a video? Well, you could hear the yeah, words. But the word video means to what? See, to see. see watch. You watch. You see something. You see action. You see, you see what somebody's doing. You watch a video. So the word providence has at the core video. Now the word pro, the prefix of the word providence, means before. So providence, pro video, means to see before. 
So let me ask you a question. Who sees everything beforehand? God does. Doesn't Brother Taylor see everything beforehand? No. Now wait a minute. Doesn't Brother Asher see everything beforehand? No. Do your parents see everything beforehand? No. No. But who sees everything beforehand? God. So we need to understand that while we may read it in the Bible, and we may even get good counsel from our pastor and our parents, sometimes God brings things into our lives that we do not understand. Let me illustrate it. My wife and I were serving the Lord in Farmington, New Mexico. God had called us into the ministry. I was a youth pastor. We were faithfully serving Christ. And we were... Uh, there with the Lord's blessing. Our, our pastor was behind us. Everybody was behind us. We were doing the will of God. And suddenly, we suffered the loss of our first baby. Late in term, my wife had to go in the hospital and deliver a baby that was not alive. And we sat back and said, what is God doing in our lives? It was providential circumstances. Now, I won't tell you the whole story. We, we had to go through, we, the doctor at the University of New Mexico said we needed to do uh, a genetic testing. And we said, why? He said, well, in case your next baby has the problem that this baby had that died, then you can abort it. And we said, well, we're not going to do genetic testing. God gave us three wonderful children after that who love the Lord and are serving Him today. But that was a really tough thing. But you know what God did in that pro video? We have had so many opportunities as a pastor to counsel people who have lost babies. And it turned from one of the greatest tragedies of our early adult life to being one of our biggest ministry opportunities with young families. Our daughter Hannah, who is our youngest, she and her husband GW have been married for over 10 years. They went through several miscarriages. And we wept and we wept and we wept with them. And they thought they would never be able to have children. But we encouraged them to trust God. Well, today our daughter has a nine-month-old flaming red-haired little girl named Gabby that loves her papa. And through that, we were able to tell our daughter, yeah, we've been through what you've been through with a baby being lost. And so, folks, what I'm saying is God knows what he's doing, and he brings into our lives providential circumstances that we don't understand. So what do we do when those happen? We back up and we surrender, we confess, we pray, we study, and we wait because God has pro-video and nobody else does. We trust God and we analyze what He's doing in our lives. But then there's a fourth lens. So Paul, back in chapter, uh, here in chapter 16, so passing by Mysia, verse 8, they came down to Troas. Verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he, Paul, had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Now, let me just say, God doesn't use visions today. That was something that happened in the apostolic era. But there's a principle here. As they were waiting on the Lord, they were doing what God had said to do, they had gotten godly counsel with each other, and yet God had brought some providential circumstances they didn't understand. They backed up and they prayed and they waited on the Lord, all of those foundational things, and then the Holy Spirit gave them confirmation. Look with me, if you would please again. Verse 10. After Paul had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. That phrase, assuredly gathering, 
is one Greek word. And it means that they took everything God was doing, what his word said, what godly counsel said, what providential circumstances dictated, and finally the assurance of the Holy Spirit. And when the assurance of the Holy Spirit came based on the word of God and godly counsel and those providential circumstances, when the Holy Spirit gave them assurance, all four lenses fitting together, they knew they were doing the will of God. You know, sometimes people say, well, I have peace about that. You know, the Bible talks about the fool who goes to the stocks in peace. You can, you can have peace, which is simply an absence of turmoil, and you can be an idiot and have peace. But assurance is a different concept. It is the concept of the Holy Spirit assuring our hearts through the Word of God, through godly counsel, and through an analysis of providential circumstances we have assurance that we are doing the will of God. I went through, uh, when I was 40 years old, I went through a bout of thyroid cancer. I had to go into Duke University and have surgery. I had to have a second follow-up surgery. I had, I had three surgeries within like two months. Had to have radiation treatments. And the guy, Dr. Dr. George Light at Duke University, who did a thousand upper chest cancer surgeries a year, three a day on average, said that I had the largest vocal cords he'd ever seen in a human being. Why would God give me large vocal cords? Because he knew he was going to call me into the gospel ministry. Why has God gifted you the way he has gifted you? Because he knows what providential circumstances he wants to give you to prepare you for what he wants to do with your life. So you, you make sure your life is right, you study God's word, you get godly counsel, you evaluate the providential circumstances. Maybe you really love engineering. Uh, maybe, maybe God will use that as a factor in what he wants you to do with your life. Maybe not. Because I know some engineers that God's called into the ministry uh, and they make really good students of the word because they have that analytical brain. Okay. So I don't know, but, but you evaluate it. But finally, in the final analysis, after you've analyzed what the Word says, what godly counsel says, what the providential circumstances are, you depend upon the Spirit of God to give you assurance. And when that assurance comes, you can go forth boldly knowing what God is doing in your life. Now, back to Acts 16 and we close. Paul came to, Paul came to these areas and the doors closed. And then he had a Macedonian vision and the doors opened. Did you know Satan can open doors? Satan can bring opportunities for you to get out of the will of God. Maybe an unsaved girl or an unsaved guy that he brings into your life that to keep you from marrying the right person. How do we know when a door is open that it's from God or Satan? When that door is from God, it lines up with the Word of God, it lines up with godly counsel, it lines up with providential circumstances, and it is affirmed in your heart by the Holy Spirit who is residing within you. That door is from God. That's how you discern what God is doing in your life. Young people, work on taking these steps and then work on looking through the lenses and you can have assurance that God will direct your steps. Trust in the Lord with all your heart don't lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, know God, and he will direct your path.
Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. I pray that you'd use this little diagram, this little illustration to help us to remember to do your will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.